Open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 16, verse 1. Revelation 16, verse 1. Our series is Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow from Revelation. This morning we're going to introduce what's coming up in the next three chapters. Uh, And let's go to verse 1. And this is the Word of God. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you have brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. Then were scorched by the, they were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world, to assemble them for battle in the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew Hebrew is called Armageddon. And join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad that it's your word and that it does stand, that it's true, that it's certain. We need your Spirit's help now, Father, to grasp what you're saying to us. Father, how it applies as we come to your word and to the table. Indeed, Father, that you might give us encouragement in the days ahead, we ask. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Armageddon, the end just to mention it, brings fear to many. Across the years, it's been much debated and much discussed, and dare I say, much misunderstood. To most people, it's the large-scale military battle that will rage in the Middle East at the end of time. It's the battle of all battles. It's the cosmic battle of the ages. Often when the, seen as when the global forces of evil clash with the forces of King Jesus uh, in a cataclysmic battle that ushers in the return of Christ. Um, and no Hollywood movie can mimic. And our culture, of course, becomes a metaphor for any great conflict that we're facing. That's going to be a real Armageddon for us. In chapter 16... Uh, introduces Armageddon. It's actually the only place in the Bible where you'll find the word Armageddon. And there's a lot we have to say about it today, not a lot of time, so we're just going to introduce the subject. Uh, now, I'll be honest. 
uh, talking about God's wrath is not my favorite thing to do. All right? I don't think it's a favorite thing for many preachers. I, I'm much more of a, a John 3.16 kind of guy. Uh, that's what I prefer to talk about. Uh, but here at CNPC, we are committed uh, to teaching the whole counsel of God, to working our way through the books of Scripture, verse by verse, tackling all the passages they come. And that requires us, as we come to this, to talk about Armageddon, uh, because that's what the chapters deal with. And while we may sometimes weary talking about wrath, obviously God wants us to know about His wrath. So for an introduction to these chapters and, and, and how that, what that means for us, let's, let's go to the text. First, just some broader concepts or themes or ideas that, that come up here uh, that we need to keep in mind. Start with a reminder that much of the language in Revelation is symbolic language. Uh, now, to be sure, uh, they are, it's language that uses word pictures uh, to, uh, to communicate God's truth. And we do take the whole Bible literally and the passages that are meant to take literally, which is most of it. But occasionally there's symbolism. So we have in Revelation. Uh, and we see it in this section. In fact, in chapter 17, we're told in verse 1 that a great prostitute sits on the waters. When you get down to verse 13, you find that, uh, in fact, that the, the, the waters are the peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. You get down to the end of the chapter, you're told that that, that woman is the great city. So there's symbols given to us and what, in fact, they represent. So sometimes how we understand a passage might not be as flashy uh, as people who take the, these verses absolutely literally. Um, they offer up interpretations that might make for great newspaper headlines that grab our attention. Our view is not so sensational, uh, but nonetheless is faithful to what God says. The second thing to note is how important it is, remember, to know the Old Testament when it comes to looking at what Revelation teaches us. Um, we, as we read through those, some of the bowls of wrath there, as we will go through them, um, you're going to see it clearly poured out by the seven angels. There's an obvious connection with the ten plagues uh, in Egypt poured out on the Egyptians during the Exodus. So, so watch for that. We have Leviticus 26 in view. God's covenant with His people in the Old Testament came with a series of promises. If they obeyed the covenant, good blessings. And promises of curses if they did not obey uh, what God said to do. And then Moses then writes this. And Leviticus 26 summarizes those for us. Then Moses writes this. Because he says, Israel uh, is not driven to repentance by the curses, here's what's going to happen. Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And that's what we have in Revelation. Now sevenfold for what they were going to receive for their sins. Um, uh, that's what happens. And maybe you're going to uh, remember as well uh, that the impact of, of the seven uh, seals that we first saw was the impact on one-fourth of the earth. The impact of the seven trumpets was on one-third of the earth. Now the impact of the bowls will be on the whole earth. God has slowly unveiled for us His response to human rebellion across the ages. 
And significantly, we must be willing to come to grips with the fact that God himself is the source of the wrath poured out on the people globally in the book of Revelation. Now, many times I, I hear people tell me how much they love the God of the New Testament because he's so loving. And then they have this sort of disdain for the God of the Old Testament uh, because they say, well, he's so wrathful. And I would say anybody who, who makes that observation has not read and understood both the Old Testament and the New Testament together. And for one thing, the Bible tells us God's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. There is no difference. And God's wrath is because of the character of God. He's a holy God. Sin is repulsive to God. Sin is offensive to God. God can have nothing to do with sin. We ask the children's catechism, says what? What does every sin deserve? The wrath and curse of God. In that sense, there are no little sins. All right? Uh, uh, God must punish sin because He's a holy God. God would no longer be holy if He did not punish sin. So God carries out perfect justice. We saw that in the text. His judgments are perfect. We have pictures in the Old Testament of as God's people do battle with and against the Canaanites and they're called by God to destroy them. Now why? Well, it's because of their repulsive sin. They refused to repent. To show us, and God shows us there what happens to all who reject Jesus, reject the true God. And what about the New Testament? Well, Jesus talks more about hell than he does about heaven. Jesus talks about the weeping and gnashing of teeth, or as one my friends overheard a, a country preacher say, the garnishing of teeth. Let that imagery sink in just a little bit for you. Um, Jesus talked about sin, not just as external acts, but, but the internal reality. And so the teaching revelation certainly has shown us God's wrath. Now one of the longings of the human heart is for justice. And we hear it from the cries of children, whether you're in the preschool or you'll hear it today perhaps from your own children. They'll say, what? That's not fair. And what's your response? Of course it's not. Life's not fair. Okay? It's not a fair thing. All right? Uh, we, we hear from adults. Uh, it's, it's actually the reason we, there's a, a misguided emphasis today on, on diversity, equity, and inclusion you see everywhere. You know, people want everything fair and equal, even if it's only an illusion. But the only fairness, the only ultimate fair justice is found with God. And it will not be found until we stand before the judgment throne of God. And it's that desire for ultimate justice that makes people try to bring it about by human means and human definitions. But it will never take place in this world. Never. Cannot be done. But the longing for it shows a longing for God, for relationship with God. Now, the reason the world wants to do away with, with judgment, they want to do away with truth and reality, is they want to do away with sin. They want to do away with hell. They want to escape God's just verdict of hell for all those who reject Him. And we see that world's response 
spelled out twice in the text, particularly verse 9. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give Him glory. So there's the crux of the matter. Instead of cursing God when these things happen, uh, the proper response would have been to repent of their sin and turn and place their trust in Jesus. Give glory to God. But as we read in verse 9, we see it again in verse 11, they would not repent. Their pride stood in the way. They would not acknowledge their guilt before God. They preferred receiving the wrath of God to giving glory to God. Remember, we have the same picture of the same thing back in, in, in chapter 6. Remember, Revelation just gives us, gives us pictures over and over again of, of the same events. And back then, we had the, king, it's over to the kings of the earth and the generals and the wealthy and the powerful said, We'll call out, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? They choose to be covered by the mountains, then give glory to God. They're steadfast in that. But remember the cry of God's people that we began with today in unison? Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And so our response to Armageddon for us is to take it seriously. And just say for all those who think they can look at the headlines, look at current world events, and then come up with a timing, a frame for the second coming, just remember what Jesus says in the passage here, Behold, I'm coming like a thief, uh, a thief in the night. You, you cannot know when he's coming. And our task is to be prepared. And that's what we're doing today. That's what we do here. We prepare, we do it as we sing songs and hymns that remind us of God's greatness and glory. Uh, we do it through prayer. We do it through giving. We do it through the Word. We do it through the sacrament. Corporate worship is what prepares us for daily life. Friends, knowledge is, is something they tell us is power. Well, here's where we get that knowledge, that power. Know what God's Word says. What it teaches as these events come. We're promised in Romans 8, 38 and 39. I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No earthly ruler, no earthly powers, no demonic powers, nothing happening today, in the world, nothing that will happen tomorrow in the world or any time in the future, nothing at all can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are absolutely His forever. And that's important to know because you're going to see as we go this, things are going to get rough. But friends, let me tell you, I've, I've read the book lots of times now recently, okay, uh, and God wins. God wins. And the key for us is to stay strong in the faith. And our faith is strengthened when we read this book and we come to this table. And so what about us? Now, anybody that's offended by the wrath of God, when they actually 
come to this. The most egregious demonstration they'd ever see of that would be the cross. After all, no one was ever less deserving of the cross than Jesus. Jesus was the most ill-suited person for the cross ever. He knew nothing of sin. He'd never sinned. He had no penalty to pay. Yet He took the penalty Himself for us. God the Father placed our sin on Jesus. Placed our punishment on Jesus. Jesus took all the wrath of God towards all the sin of all His people. At the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God for Adam's biting that fruit, for David's sin of adultery, for Peter's denials, and for every sin that I have committed, and every sin that you have committed, and every sin that all the followers of Jesus Christ across the ages have, are, or will commit. The wrath of God for all of that in one cup, and Jesus took it in. And if we've placed our faith in Christ alone for salvation, be assured, the wrath we're talking about, Jesus took that for us. But if we reject Jesus, then we drink that wrath of God ourselves on the day Christ returns. So this table pictures for us what Jesus has done. Our sins punished. Punishments upon Jesus. Jesus drank the full cup of God's wrath because He's holy. He's merciful. He's gracious. Friends, He is loving. And so today on Christ's behalf, I would invite all who are believers in the Lord Jesus, members of Good Standing of an Evangelical Church, to come to this table to be reminded that Jesus took God's wrath for us. Now, if you're here and you're not a believer yet, we're, we're, we're glad you're here. But again, the Bible would urge you not to partake of the elements. So there's some suggestions for you there in the bulletin to follow. I hope that you'll want to escape the judgment of God. I hope you'll want to flee to and embrace God's love shown to us in Jesus Christ. So let us share with you how you can do that following the service. Children have not yet been examined by the session, but have the desire. We'll start a class in two weeks. Please see me, but you should also wait. So our response as believers, as we come to this table, we should, we should be taught here to hate our sin, to want to turn from it, from every one of our sins. I'm going to tell you, if we don't have that desire, if we think our sin's no big deal, that Jesus took God's wrath for, then we should not come. But if we want to grow in our hatred towards our sin... If we want to grow in our love for Christ, for what He's done for us on the cross, if we want to grow in our desire to serve Jesus, uh, if we want to be strengthened in our resolve to share Jesus with our neighbors and with the nations, by all means, we come to this table to get strength, to be encouraged. Strengthen the battle against sin. Strengthen the battle to walk with the Lord. So let's come eat and drink. To prepare for that, let's each go before God individually and confess our sins.
confess our sins before you. We acknowledge our guilt, Lord. So, Father, teach us to hate our sin, Father. Teach us to be repulsed by our sin just like you are. And, Father, teach us to grow in our love for Christ. To love Him for His death on the cross for us and to seek to follow Him. Give us strength, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.